Well, good morning. We're going to have a time of worship later on, of musical worship later on after I've spoken. But we're in the middle, well, not, well I guess it depends how long the series goes. We're in a, a series on Daniel. And today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 2. And I was sort of three quarters of the way through preparing for the message. And then I saw the notices come out and the title was different to what I was expecting. <laughs> so the title was Close Encounter. I thought, oh, I'd better have a look at that, seeing as I'm speaking and seeing as that's the title. And so I did a Google search of Close Encounter. And the first thing that came up when you do a Google search in Close Encounter is Close Encounters uh, of the alien version about UFOs. And I sort of had a look at the first couple of items that came up on that. And, you know, there's a scale for measuring close encounters. Now, I guess when I read the, the data, I said, yeah, that's obvious. But I didn't realise there was a guy, J. Allen Hynek, and he wrote a book in 1972 about close encounters. And that prompted the name of the film you're probably familiar with, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I thought, well, I wonder what the different kinds of close encounters are. So I read this, and so a first kind of encounter is a sighting which is greater than 150 metres away. So you see something in the distance, and you think, oh, that's a bit odd. And so that can either be called a daylight disc, or a nocturnal light, or a radar or visual report. So that's the first kind. The second kind are sightings um, which are more than 150 metres from the witness, Sorry, there. Sorry, just pause for a moment. Uh, I've got a picture for you in, in your, your pocket. Okay, thanks, mate. Have a good week. Yeah. So, close encounters of the second kind, so they're within 150 metres, and they leave some sort of physical evidence, some sort of trace. So, that could be maybe animals behaving weirdly. Now, if that were the case, we have UFOs at our place most days because we've got a. <laughs> very weirdly behaving animal at the moment. Or, no, it's not Jill. <laughs> Although I'd have to say sometimes, maybe, but no. <laughs> yeah, I'm just joined Rex's club, I think. So second is closer with some sort of physical event. The third kind is where an animated creature is present, and that could be a humanoid form or a robot form. Now, I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of the list, but I read on. Did you know that there are additional types of close encounters? Let me share with you. Close encounter of the fourth kind is an event in which a human is abducted. Now, there are some people who claim to have been abducted by aliens, so they would fit into the fourth category. The fifth category involves direct communication between aliens and humans. The sixth kind involves the death of a human or animal associated with a UFO sighting. And the seventh kind is the creation of a humanoid or alien hybrid, and that's either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. I stopped reading at that point. <laughs> As interesting a topic as it might be, 
I don't want to talk about aliens or UFOs, partly because I think it's debatable whether they exist, but mainly because I think it's more relevant and valuable to us to talk about close encounters with God. Now, when I think about close encounters with God, I think, for me, encountering challenges, encountering difficult situations, you might want to call it a crisis, encountering one of those often brings me into a close encounter with God. So let's pray. Father, we invite your spirit to lead us and to guide us. We pray that you would reveal to us your truth. We pray that as we spend time thinking about you and your word, that you would draw us close so that we sense your presence and hear from you things that you want us to apply in our own lives. We ask that we would all have a close encounter with you and your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. In Daniel chapter 2, he faces a situation that's impossible for him to resolve. Impossible in his own strength and in his own knowledge. But he comes through it. It's probably well he, just as well he did, otherwise Daniel would be a very short book. Probably wouldn't be significant enough to even make it into the Bible. But Daniel comes through the situation with a clear picture of who God is. And he comes with a clearer understanding of God's big picture, not just for Daniel, but for mankind. And coming through it, he saves his friends. And as a, I guess, a side consequence, he also gets richly blessed. And he gets placed in a position of a significant power. I think there are some principles in this chapter that if we follow them, they will help us. They'll help us put our close encounters in a godly perspective. And I think if we can try and apply the principles that Daniel applied into our lives, that they'll bless us. But more than that, they'll also bless those around about us. So a question for you. What troubles you? What might keep you awake at night? Now, you can probably tell through some of the images I'm going to show you that I've been reasonably active on Google this last week. So I Googled, what troubles us? I thought, this would be interesting. What's going to come up? So I've got a montage here of pictures of some of the things that trouble us. <laughs> now, you may, might be surprised, probably not all that surprised, that Donald J. Trump features prominently in the pictures of things that trouble us. But there's also other things, like ukuleles. I was surprised how frequently stringed instruments featured in the list of things that trouble us. There was the obvious things like war. There was pollution, piles of rubbish. There was overt displays of religion. Troubled a lot of people. Arguing. Cataclysmic events, I think we can see a meteor crashing into Earth there, about to obliterate the world as we know it. Technology troubled some people. And sort of up on the right there, you'll see naughty dogs also troubled some people. 
What troubles you? I think it can probably be summarised in things that are out of our control. Things that we can't fix. Things that we can't understand. Maybe it's a health issue. Perhaps it's uncertainty over what the future holds in terms of career or even just the next job. Maybe it's decisions that our loved ones are making that we don't agree with, but that we can't change. Maybe we're troubled by conflict, either at home or in the neighbourhood or in a work setting. Maybe we're troubled by financial worries, that we feel like we don't have enough. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar is one of the key characters in our story. And at the time, he was perhaps the richest and most powerful man on earth. So powerful that his subjects even considered he might be a living God because they used to refer to him as, O King, live forever, that you are so important that you will never die like us mortals. But as powerful as he was, he was troubled by a recurring dream. Now, I think there must have been something about that dream that was mysterious and that convinced him that it contained an important message for him, but he couldn't work it out. I think he knew it had something to do with his destiny, but this dream was consuming him. It kept, it kept coming night after night. He couldn't forget it, but he couldn't ignore it either. And this caused him to become extremely angry. Nebuchadnezzar was in control of most things, but he was greatly unsettled by the big questions in life, things that were out of his control. So we're going to have a look at Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Um, I will have the text uh, from NIV up on the screen. Uh, Will you welcome to scan it and make sure my paraphrase is, is correct or mainly correct? Um, and then we'll, we're going to miss out the section in the middle, but I'll explain that as we get through it. King Nebuchadnezzar was ruler of one of the most important kingdoms on earth. It was in the second year of his reign, which is about 604 BC, that he had dreams. They bothered him because they kept recurring. He was troubled and he couldn't sleep. He became agitated and wanted to know what the dreams meant. He called for the experts, the consultants, the trained and respected professionals to help him. They were very pleased, he asked. Honoured because the king was so important and because the king was so rich, knowing that if they helped him, then they would be greatly rewarded and could charge a huge consultancy fee. But the king didn't entirely trust them. He knew that if he told them his dream, that they would tell him what they thought he wanted to hear. Now, I think that's the skill of a great consultant, that you ask the client what they want to know, you then go away and report back with the answer of what they've already told you. And then you charge a huge amount to reflect how important that answer really was. 
So the king demanded his consultants first tell him what the dream was and then interpret it. His thinking was that if they were smart enough to know the dream without being told, then they would be smart enough to interpret it correctly. The consultants did a quick forensic assessment of the situation and reported back to the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. So the king was angry, so angry that he carried out his own forensic assessment of the net worth of the consultants and ordered that they be executed. Probably fair enough, the consultants weren't really adding any real value, but the problem was that Daniel and his friend, friends were caught up in the same classification, the same judgment, and guards were sent out to look for Daniel and his mates to execute them as well. So when you think about what troubles us, think about having a royal guard appear at your doorstep saying that he has strict orders from the king to execute you. I think that probably qualifies as a troubling thing. The guard didn't give Daniel any options, he just relayed the orders that he was under and it was obvious that he was going to carry it out. And you can understand from the guard's point of view that if he didn't carry his orders out, then the king would order his own execution. So what did Daniel do? <clears throat> what would you do? Would you run? Would you try and fight the guard? Well, Daniel spoke to the guard with wisdom and tact. Then he asked for time, not to delay things so he could plan a sneaky escape, but time so that he might interpret the king's dreams. Then Daniel urged his mates to pray. I wonder what that prayer might have sounded like. Help! But that night Daniel slept. And that amazes me that in the midst of that situation, Daniel could sleep. He was faced with an impossible situation and I think for me and most of us, worry and anxiety would be overwhelming. And sleep would be something that even though we might need it, we couldn't achieve. But Daniel slept. And as he was sleeping, God revealed the mystery in a vision. So what did Daniel do next? Did he rush to the king saying, I've got the answer for you? First of all, Daniel praised God. He gave God thanks and all of the glory. We're going to have a look at the prayer that Daniel prayed when he did that a little bit later. Then Daniel goes to the guard and he says, stop the execution, take me to the king. So the king asks Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel answers, no wise man or consultant can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. And I imagine if Daniel paused long enough at that point, the king may well have continued with the executions. But Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And Daniel proceeds to tell the king what his dreams were, and then he proceeds to interpret them. So the dream was about a large statue that the king saw 
and was made up of different types of materials and they represented different parts of, of uh, they represented different kingdoms that were to follow after Nebuchadnezzar's. And the final part of the vision was interpreted by Daniel who said, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Daniel says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. The king had been wanting truth from the wise men and from the consultants, but he ends up getting truth from God. And God reveals to him in this interpretation the big picture of all time. So the king fell prostrate, not prostrate, probably a bit painful to fall prostrate. The king fell prostrate before Daniel and declared, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then he honored Daniel. He showered him with gifts and made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of the consultants and wise men. So even though we're separated by 2,600 years from King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, I think we've got a lot in common. I think most of us live reasonably contented lives until we get presented with a situation that causes us to ask some questions. Questions like, who am I really? What really matters? Where is my sense of worth or value? What am I here for? What happens after I die? What legacy am I leaving my children and future generations? How can I say God loves me when I feel like everything is going wrong? Sooner or later, we will face a crisis in our life. Unexpected things, things that we can't control. They'll completely surprise us, like a cancer diagnosis, like the death of a loved one, like a career change that's forced upon us. In 2015, <clears throat> I was diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer. It was a very unexpected shock for me. A very big in-your-face reminder of your own mortality. Through that, I certainly became very close to God. And that new closeness is precious. To the extent where I thank God for the cancer, because it's brought me into a, a new level of relationship with him. It's given me a bigger perspective of who God is, but also who I am in God's plan. I thought one crisis might have been enough, but last year I resigned from my job after 30 years. The work situation had become so untenable that I knew it was time for me to leave. But leaving something that you've been doing for 30 years 
to go to something which is yet to be determined has been much harder than I imagined. In a lot of ways, it's been significantly harder for me to do that change of career than to process the cancer diagnosis. Because with my career change, I didn't have an answer to the question, what's next? That, that was something that would just continually play through my mind, what's next, I, and I didn't know. But what I did find out as I processed it was that was a, a, just a, a beginning question, a starter for 10, the bigger questions were yet to follow. Questions like, <clears throat> who defines me? Is it my job title? Or is it God? Is, is it what God, who God says I am? Another big question for me, what value am I? Because previously I could answer that and, and with the concept, well, this is the value of my salary package. This is how much someone thinks I'm worth and they're willing to pay it for me. But with that gone, how much am I worth? And a big question I kept asking, what does God want me to do? And not really hearing any answer to that. Well, I did get an answer, but it wasn't to the question I was asking. I was asking, God, what do you want me to do? And I kept hearing about who God wanted me to be. I thank God that in that time last year, I had time and space to have regular time to read his word. And not just to think about the situations that I was confronted with, but to think about God and to allow his word to wash me and to bring a perspective that maybe I wasn't looking for with my questions, but a perspective that I needed. So now I have some, some answers to some of the questions I was asking, but it's after having gone through that process. So now I've set up my own company. I do regular consulting work. So I am one of these consultants. I also do regular forensic accounting work, and you think, oh, that sounds interesting. So if you're interested in forensic accounting, I can tell you all about it later. I also do some independent directorships and some strategic business consulting. It also looks like I'm going to, um, I hope and pray, get some regular church consultancy work, uh, partnering up with Rod Robson, who's the pastor at Rapawa Baptist. He comes from a legal background. And so together, we'll team up and offer some advice to churches who need some uh, strategic support and financial planning support. That excites me because I think it, it adds some value to the kingdom of what God's, and what God's doing. But for me, it's been a gradual revealing and confirmation of God's will for me. And I think... For me, the, what's added value in the process is that God's allowed me to have a clearer understanding of who I am in him, who we are in him, and that it's not defined by a job title. It's not defined by uh, an employer in terms of what they are willing to pay me. But the truth is that God tells us how much we're worth. He 
continually tells us that he loves us. And when we want to ask how much, we just look to Jesus. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to save us. Some of our circumstances and challenges hang around for a long time and we can pray but the answer doesn't seem to come. Well, for me it didn't really come in the time frame that I expected because I wanted an answer right away. Say, God, please tell me what's, what's next for me and please tell me today because I don't want to have another troubled night. But I find in those times of listening, straining to hear what God's saying, and when I think about straining to listen, um, on the, the chase, is it that quiz program goes from five to six, they have the chasers answering questions, and there's one guy when, when he's in the, the final round and he's listening for the answer, he's, he's leaning forward, and it's like he's trying to suck the questions into his ear. And sometimes I think that's like us when we really want to hear from God, God, I'm really listening, please tell me. And I think that's a good place to be. Sometimes we need to give God a bit more scope and sort of say, God, please tell me what you want to say. But I think in those moments, I become aware of these things. I become really aware that God is present. And in his presence, he brings his peace. So I might not get the answer to what I'm straining for, but I get the reassurance that God is in this. And I get the, the illogical peace that he brings. Because I think, well, there's all these things which are causing uncertainty and causing worry, but you just want to give me peace. And he does. And that's because his peace is more important and it's greater than the things that give us worry and confusion. And I think when I listen to him, he gives me the perspective to ask the right question. Like, not what do you want me to do, God, but who do you want me to be? So who can answer our big questions in life? Well, it's not the worldly consultants. It's not the experts. If we ask them, the best that they can do is give their considered opinion, which will probably be what they think you want to hear in the first place. They won't bring any supernatural input into your circumstance. Because our big questions have eternal consequences. And we really need someone who's got some eternal wisdom, some eternal truths to speak into those big questions. One of the, 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 the true things that the consultants did answer to the king was they said, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he's asked about. And Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And I think that's something that gives us great hope. That the things that trouble us, the things that cause us to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to get back to sleep, the things that we can't answer are known by God. And we have a God who loves us and who will reveal mysteries to us. God is the revealer of mysteries and the giver of a bigger perspective. When we look at our challenges or crises through our own lens, I think it's a bit like 
It's a bit like these. I'm not really a camera expert, but I've got a camera with different lenses. Excuse me just one moment. Have a good week, mate. I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Now, two different lenses, different sizes. They're shown up there, but the, the scale of the pictures there don't really reflect what we've got. So this is a telephoto lens. So this one runs from 55 to 250 millimetres. So when you connect that to the camera and you zoom in, you see how the end of the lens goes out? And so that moves one of the lenses away, so it increases the magnification. So if I were to zoom right in on Rex and they attach the camera, I could probably see if he has any pimples on his nose. <laughs> and even when I bring it back out again, I can probably see with this lens probably most of the centre section. So this is a, a zoom lens. And I find that often when I'm troubled, that I'm looking through a zoom lens and the zoom increases the magnification on the problem. And that's all I can see. And I might be seeing it very clearly. And it's very real. But the thing is, there's a wider perspective. And I believe what God wants us to do is to use a wide angle lens, which is something like this. So it doesn't, it's got no twirly bit to stick out. But if I put this on the camera and stood here, I could take a photo from wall to wall. It's got a different perspective. And I think what happens when we ask God to reveal mysteries to us is that he gives us a different perspective. He might allow us to see that rather than just focusing in on this one, we might have to take that off our camera and put this one on and say, God, you've got a bigger picture on this circumstance than I've got. Can you help me take this off? Can you help me put aside the worries and frustrations and put on your lens so that I can see that my circumstance is still there, but it's part of something bigger? And I think that's one of the, the great things that God does for us as we listen to him. That he will allow us to increase our perspective. So how do we react in times of crisis? Daniel reacted with wisdom and tact. So wisdom, have it, you must. What does wisdom look like in Daniel's context? Well, first of all, he asked for time. He didn't run with his first reaction. He asked for time, and time was granted. And then in that time, he waited for God to provide the answer. He also acted with tact. Winston Churchill, when I was Googling tact, had a great quote. Tact is the ability to tell someone to go to hell in such a way that they look forward to the trip. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that we necessarily do that when we're in a, a godly situation. But in Daniel's circumstance, he was careful not to give offence. He spoke the truth as God directed him to. So he wasn't politically correct, but he wasn't offensive. 
Daniel's interpretation of the dream wasn't flattering to the king because he said in verse 37 that your kingdom is not the result of your own doing. The king thought that he was great and mighty and that he had achieved a lot. But Daniel was saying, no, you only achieved this because God allowed you to. And he also said later on in his interpretation, your kingdom is doomed. He said, what you think you have built up, which is so significant and so great, is going to be smashed by someone who comes after you. I would think if God had told me as a consultant to go and report that sort of thing to a client, that my client would not be very happy. That's not what they would expect to want to hear. But what impresses me about Daniel is that he gave God's message to the king the way that God wanted Daniel to deliver it. Daniel was obedient. The other thing that that Daniel did, he acted with wisdom and with tact, is that he based it on prayer. He prayed with urgency. Imagine if your head is about to be chopped off, your prayers would become very urgent. But he also expected God to answer. He expected that God would reveal the mysteries that the king wanted to know. And then the other thing, he thanked God for the answer before the king had even told him he was right. God told Daniel in his his vision that this is what the dream means. Well, the person who's going to confirm that that's really right is the king. He hadn't met the king yet, but he said, thank you, God. You have given me the answer. He was a man of faith. He heard from God and he said, yes, this is right. This is true. I'm going to act on that. He listened to God. He trusted God before and above men. Now, I think that the prayer that Daniel prayed at that point after God had revealed the the mystery to him is a great prayer. And I think it's a prayer that if we look at it, it'll actually give us some hope and some encouragement as well. So this is what Daniel prayed after he had received from God during the night the answer to the the king's vision. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. We only see what's happening on the surface and even then often not very clearly. And God is at work in this world. And we often don't see or appreciate what he's doing in the deep things. But God is at work in the big things, the times and the seasons. He's at work with those who are rulers and in authority. He knows what lies in darkness and light is with him. You may think that you're completely in the dark in your situation. You might think that there's no light at all can shed any sense of understanding or any sense of where do I go to from here. Be encouraged because God knows what's in the darkness. 
God knows how dark and how awful our situations are. And light dwells with him. He can bring light in the darkness. There are things that have happened in my life that on the surface I can't understand. But what I do understand, I do know, is I do know that there is a God who loves me. I do know that God knows everything. And I know that he works in the deep things. And I know that he brings light into darkness. Sometimes he may reveal a mystery. That might be by giving a different perspective, a wider angle. But sometimes he doesn't. But he will always remind me that he loves me. He'll always remind me that he's in control. And I can trust him, no matter what. But this morning I think it's important for us to recognise that our focus is not just about on us. So what can we do to help others who are troubled? Because sometimes if you are that narrowly focused on something, you need some encouragement for someone to sort of say, the picture's bigger than that. So how can we help those who are troubled? So I've got some points here, and I'd suggest that if we practice these, that we would be a loving community, one who helps each other with the big issues. So what can we do if, you, if others are troubled? We can remind them who God is that he is the big picture God. He's the revealer of mysteries. We can remind them of our position and purpose. So our position is that we are a child of God, that we're loved by God, and that in him we have security. And that our purpose is to serve God in the areas and the positions and the circumstances that he's placed us. I think it's really important for us to share our story with others because our journey is probably different to that of someone else but it's encouraging as well. As we share the hard times with others, share that there have been times and moments where I don't understand what's happening and I've felt totally devastated by circumstances but in the midst of that I've still experienced God's love and God's peace. If we share that with other people, that is going to be hugely encouraging to them as they carry out their own journey. We can pray for them and expect that God will answer. I think there's a difference between just praying a general blessing and a very specific prayer, sort of, God, in this circumstance, we pray for your presence. We pray that you would bring a perspective. And God, we look for the answer. And we expect an answer. I think we need to pray like that for each other. And thank God in our circumstance. Because even though it might be an awful thing that you're going through, through it God is going to deepen our understanding of who he is. He's going to be with us through every part of our journey. And I think remind them that in the end, God's ultimate big picture is that he is going to bring an end to all of the arrogance, to all of the corruption, to all injustice, 
to all violence. He's going to bring an end to all hatred. He's going to bring an end to war. God is going to overthrow all of these kingdoms and establish a permanent one of his own which will last forever. And we are part of that because we're part of his family and we're called to live with him in his perfect eternity and that gives us great hope. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to not be so focused on our own circumstance that we neglect to ask you what your big picture is. And Lord, thank you that we know that there is a big picture, but we pray that you help us to apply that big picture to our circumstance and to allow you to zoom back our focus so that we're aware of more than just what is consuming us, what's troubling us. Lord, may we be aware of you. May we be aware of your purposes and your will in our situations. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who encourage one another in troubled times then we can offer practical and spiritual and wise support that will be tactful in the way that we love one another, but that we'll love one another truly so that we won't, we won't neglect to share the truth with one another, but we'll share the truth with love and that we'll back that love up with, with our time and with our practical actions. Lord, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for his faith in you. Thank you that we can be inspired by how he conducted himself and how in the face of an impossible situation he was able to bring glory to you and to bring that king to a realisation that, that you are greater than any kingdom on earth. Lord, we pray that you would be with us as a community. And that as we journey with each other, Lord, that we would, we would be an example of people who live in your light and allow your love to flow through us. Amen.